0: Please stand with me to honor God's word. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: One of the highlights of my weeks these days has been a time when student ministries mentees come to see me on Tuesday afternoons in my office. These are high school seniors that are taking their fourth block to explore a possible vocation in pastoral ministry or to simply deepen their faith and engage in some of this personal responsibility for their own discipleship journey that John talked about earlier. I tell you, it is the highlight of my week. They come in and they just shoot and ask some questions. And I do my best to try and answer their question and continue to prod them and lead them toward taking personal responsibility for their discipleship journey and putting Jesus Christ at the center of their lives. And the last time I met with them, they asked me a question about how to read scripture. And they said, Travis, we want to know how to get more out of the Bible when we read it. You know, what, what do we need to be thinking about as we read it? We read it, we kind of hear what it says, but we're not quite sure always what to do with it. How do we read the Bible in order to gain more insight was her question. And I said, let's start with two things. One, you need to read it slowly. The Bible was not meant to be read, you know, like a Tom Clancy novel, speeding through and say, hey, I got to the end, I was action-packed. You've got to learn how to read it slowly, take your time, notice the details that the authors are attempting to put in front of you that you would just miss if you read too quickly. And as you notice those details, the second thing, my second piece of advice to them was, ask questions. When you see an interesting detail in the scripture, say, what's that all about? Or formulate a question to help you sort of maybe do some research a little bit later. As we come to our scripture passage for today that Tim read from Matthew chapter four, I would like to employ those two strategies as we look at Jesus's temptation in the desert. We need to read this passage slowly, especially the first verse. And we need to ask some key questions, one in particular. So let's go back to Matthew chapter four, Verse 1 As we look at this classic passage for Ash Wednesday, verse 1 says this Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. What I find fascinating about this passage, if you just kind of read too quickly by it, you go, wow, Jesus is, is fasting in the desert. How interesting. And you miss the thrust of the whole story. There's a key detail in verse 1. Jesus doesn't walk into the desert on his own accord. Jesus is led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. This is not an idea that he uh, said, you know what, let's just, let's just go out. For a jog in the desert. He is led there for an intentional period of trial, an intentional period of suffering, even. And we'll come back to that later this idea that Jesus is led into the desert. And then you see at the end of verse two, after fasting, he's hungry. Well, obviously, after not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, someone will be hungry. So why does Matthew give us this detail that he's hungry? Why didn't he just say that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and everyone can connect the dots for themselves that after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, you'd be hungry? But Matthew takes the time to give us this key detail that he actually is hungry. Why? Let's ask a question about that detail here in Scripture. Here's my question Hungry for what? What is Jesus hungry for after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting? Because if you've ever been to a recovery program, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or Celebrate Recovery, which we offer Friday nights here at the chapel for people that are struggling to recover from their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups, there's an acronym that they use. It's called HALT. Halt. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you need to halt. Because in those states of hunger, anger, loneliness, or being tired, exhaustion, you can sometimes make poor decisions. So they say hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt, stop. Don't make a decision. Don't go back to that habit that's destroying you from the inside out. Don't do it. Halt. But as you look at all of those states of mind or dispositions of the heart, hunger, anger, loneliness, exhaustion. There's one that can kind of swing two different ways, both positive and negative. And I believe that's hunger. We never want to be exhausted. We never want to be lonely. It's not right to be angry. But hunger, you can be hungry for the wrong things. You can also be Hungry for the right things in life. And so when Matthew gives us this observation that Jesus is hungry after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, I believe it begs the question, hungry for what? As Satan tempts him, he offers him bread. Jesus doesn't eat the bread. Jesus is not Italian. He is (laughs) obviously not hungry for food. Isn't that interesting? After 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, Satan offers him bread. He doesn't take the bread. He's not hungry for food. Second, Satan brings him up to the top of the temple. He says, throw yourself down from the top of the temple. Do something spectacular which, from which you will receive acclaim. It will be a great achievement. Jesus, the one who threw himself down from the top of the temple, and angels caught him. Jesus says, no. Jesus is not hungry for acclaim. Jesus is not hungry for spectacular achievement. Next, Satan brings him up to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus says, no, I'm not in it for kingdoms of the earth. Jesus rejects power. What is Jesus hungry for? It's not bread. It's not a claim. It's not power. Here's what Jesus is hungry for. He's hungry for God's word. He's hungry for obedience. And he's hungry hungry for God's kingdom to come here to this earth, not for the kingdom of this earth to come to him. Where do we find that? It's in all of Jesus' responses to Satan's normal attempts to fill Jesus' hunger. You see, when Satan offers Jesus the bread, Jesus says, nope, I'm not hungry for that. Man does not live on bread alone in verse four. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's hungry for God's word. Next, when Satan offers him the spectacular opportunity for acclaim and achieving great things, Jesus answers in verse seven, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is hungry for obedience Finally, when Satan brings Jesus up to the tall mountain to show him all the kings kingdoms of the world, I will give all this to you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus says, away from me, Satan, in verse 10. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, I'm not hungry for the kingdoms of this world. I'm hungry for God's kingdom. As Doug preached on Sunday in the Sermon on the Mount, which comes Next, in chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He bookends all of the beatitudes, all these blessings, with this idea of the kingdom of heaven, because Jesus is not interested in the kingdoms of this earth. He's interested in God's kingdom coming and being implemented here on this earth. So if Jesus isn't hungry for the things that we as human beings spend our lives chasing chasing after, bread, acclaim, achievement, power, but rather Jesus is hungry for God's word, obedience, God's kingdom. The question then becomes, how do we get there? How did Jesus get there? And how Jesus got there, could that become a model for how we get there? Well, that takes us back to verse 1 of our passage. Jesus is led by the Spirit to this place. And if there was one word that I would use for how did Jesus get here, the word is preparation. He prepared. He took an intentional 40 days of his life to prepare himself for this temptation, to prepare himself to excuse himself from the hunger of this world, all the things that people long for to satisfy their soul, that the truth is will never satisfy their soul. The word is preparation. That's how Jesus got there. And I believe that's how we will get there as well. If I had to take it from a word and put it into a sentence, I would say, let God lead us to a place of preparation. For Jesus allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him to a place of preparation. You see this idea of being led all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. No one one achieves righteousness on their own. God is the author of righteousness. He leads us. He leads us to faith in him where we can be made righteous in his sight. He leads us toward love and good deeds One of my favorite passages about being led somewhere is in John chapter 21. After Jesus is helping Peter return to a place of helping Peter understand that he is forgiven, as Doug assured us of our forgiveness when we repent and confess, Jesus takes Peter and offers him an opportunity to repent and to confess. And afterwards, he talks to him about the importance of being led somewhere. And this is in John 21, verse 18. This is after Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and, and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. You see, Peter has to make the move from attempting to lead his own life to allowing someone else, God's spirit perhaps, Jesus, the Lord of life, the author of life, the forgiver of our sins, to move from leading ourselves to being led by that spirit by Jesus Christ, by God the Father. And so Peter, Jesus says, moves from leading to being led. And I believe this Lenten season is an opportunity for all of us to move from leading to being led by God's Spirit into a place of preparation where we can really and truly prepare for Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. I always find it interesting that churches uh, only have one Good Friday service. I've never found a church that has to have multiple Good Friday services. The worship space always seems to accommodate the number of worshipers that want to come on Good Friday. But so many churches have to have multiple Easter services. So many churches have... Like us at the chapel, we have four Easter services that take place in two different rooms. But we only have to have one Good Friday service because people want to often skip to the point of resurrection and to see the end of the story. But I believe God during Lent is asking us to move in an intentional time of preparation, understanding our own human mortality, our own frailty, our own sense of of just being lost without Jesus, understanding his death on Good Friday and then truly experiencing the resurrection together on Easter Sunday. So what does our preparation look like? What does our intentional opportunity for preparation this Lent really need to look like? How can we let God's spirit lead us to this place of preparation? Remember Jesus's answers to the temptations. The word of God obedience, and truly believing in God's kingdom rather than the kingdom of this world. And so I would offer those three avenues of preparation, focusing this Lenten season on God's word, focusing on our obedience to that word, and focusing on his kingdom rather than what we see here on this earth. I believe we have a great opportunity to make that journey together as a congregation, studying God's word in the gospel of Matthew on Sundays, the devotional that so many people have already said, yeah, I'd like to sign up and do that devotional, the blogs that will go along with that devotional. I think that will help us, that'll help us with the word of God peace. The, the obedience piece is going to take place throughout the week as we take the sermons that we hear, the words from the Gospel of Matthew we read throughout the week and put them into practice in our lives. And finally, truly believing that it's God's kingdom, not this kingdom, that ultimately defines reality in this world. I believe we can do that by making an intentional commitment to Sunday worship each and every week this Lent. So often we're sporadic in our worship attendance. But if we truly believe that it's God's kingdom and not what we see in this world, we need to have an intentional encounter with God's kingdom at least once a week. And I believe we do that with worship. So would you contemplate being led to a place of preparation, incorporating God's word into your life, being obedient to that word, and giving yourself an opportunity to truly embrace his kingdom here on this earth. One of the ways that we'll do that tonight is with the ashes. These ashes are a symbol of our own human mortality, our own frailty, the fact that the Bible tells us that Adam was created from dust, and apart from Jesus and his resurrection, we would return to dust. And it's good to be reminded of that occasionally, that apart from Jesus, our life is like dust. And it it's through His power, through His resurrection, that we are given true and ultimate life. Let us pause and contemplate who we are and the power that He promises to take our meager mortal lives. transform them into something eternal, something that is meant to spend forever living with him, glorifying him forever and ever. Let us come forth to receive the imposition of the ashes. As we have come together as a community of faith this evening to repent and to bow before him, proclaiming the truth that we are but ashes apart from him. From dust we were made, and apart from his resurrection to dust we would return. But by his mercy, we are forgiven. By his mercy, we are healed. And my prayer is that that mercy, that forgiveness, and that healing would lead us to a place of preparation. That we would allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit to a place of preparation where we might experience the power of his resurrection more fully come Easter. I pray we have a mighty six weeks together. Let us go in peace. Amen.